All right, like I said before, we'll be in Joshua chapter 4. Joshua is one of my, it actually is my favorite book of the Bible uh, for a lot of reasons, and I'm sure you all would agree. Primarily because he's a fantastic leader, but more than anything, he's a, he, had, he had great fellowship. So the people who were with him were on board with doing God's work. And that's important because it can all, you can have all these great leaders, but if the people aren't on board, it's hard to get much done. Um, and we see the opposite side of the spectrum with Moses. He was a fantastic leader, but the people's hearts just weren't towards God. And we'll see why in a second. A um, little, bit, little bit about myself, like Pastor mentioned. Um, I, I grew up originally in Illinois. I was in the Navy. I moved a couple different places. I'm no longer in the military. Uh, but I was really excited to see what God was doing here. Met my wife. We had our son, and we just did not want to leave. This is where God helped us grow the most. This is where we could uh, get invested in, but also invest in other in this kingdom. So this is really where, this is home for us, uh, unless God says otherwise. Um, now, we're going to lead up to chapter four, but kind of giving us a, a little bit of context. The first four chapters of Joshua are primarily God giving uh, Joshua some instruction. Basically, be strong, be courageous, and do what I've commanded you to do. Uh, Joshua 1.9 is a verse we teach to the kids. It's a verse that I, I always keep on my heart, um, but it, it's a great verse to have in Bible memory for yourself as well, too. Actually, real quick. If you want to just turn your Bibles there, I think it's good to look at, but it's also good to kind of have on your heart. Have not I commanded thee, this Joshua 1, 9, uh, be not afraid, or sorry, have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. And that first chapter is basically God encouraging Joshua, hey, I got your back, I will be with you, obey me, and we'll see it through this entire time. Um, Leading up to that, the second chapter, third chapter, they're going towards the Jordan. They're about to cross. Eventually, they cross in chapter three. And chapter four is a little bit of a summary of kind of what happens as they're crossing the Jordan. God gives Joshua specific instruction in two, two places. First, as they're crossing the Jordan with the Ark of the Covenant and the priests. The priests, first of all, the waters of the Jordan, a lot bigger than where they are today. But basically, one side of the Jordan is cut off. The rest of the water is dry. So they are to walk across on dry land. And the water's just building up on this one side. And the water's still flowing. And this was during the harvest time. So the harvest time, the waters, it's said that they were about 100 feet in distance and maybe more than 10 feet in depth. So the waters are just building up on one side as they pass, as the other side's slowly being the drop because it's going toward the Dead Sea. So imagine this spectacle where the people are crossing. The Ark of the Covenant's sitting there in the middle of the Jordan River, and the people are crossing. And God tells Joshua, I want you to build grab stones and I want you to build stones right there to remember what I've done. That's the first time. And then we find ourselves where we're about to read in verse 19 through 24, where God gives them the command to grab stones from the Jordan on their way to Gilgal, where they'll place more stones to stack to remember what God has done. So that's where we find ourselves in verse 19 of chapter 4 of Joshua. Let's read that now. And the people came up out of Jordan on the 10th day, on the first month, and encamped in Gilgal, in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel come over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan before you until ye were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. 
which you dried up from before us until we were gone over. And one of the best parts about all of this, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord and that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, We thank you that it's been preserved for us. You've given it to us. I pray, Lord, as we go through it, would you prick the hearts of every single person here tonight, Lord? Help us to glean from your word what you would have us. Help us to grow. Lord, we know that wisdom comes from you. We know that our walks growing close to you and being like Christ, it's all because of your doing, Lord. So I pray, help us to submit to that authority, Lord. There's so many different ways we could decide to go off of the way of Christ, Lord. But I pray today, Lord, this would just be another feather in our cap to help us push towards the mark of being like Christ. Uh, Be with your preaching, Lord. Please help me to empty myself. Uh, Lord, I'm no one without you, Lord. So I pray your word just passes through me and that we're all encouraged by it. I ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So for myself, a little bit uh, of my background, some of you know, some of you may not know. Uh, I grew up with myself and my, my mother and father. They were together and they still are, praise God. And I also had an older sister. She's about four years older than me. Uh, by the time I turned 18, I, they had a daughter uh, and her name's Brielle. And she uh, basically, she's a, she's a great little girl, but I didn't grow up with her. So really, I grew up as the youngest. And we all know the complexes that come with being the, the youngest. Um, but a little before that, I actually grew up in a household with about nine or ten people in my grandmother's house. Um, small suburban town in uh, South Chicago suburbs, and I absolutely loved it. I loved being around my family. I loved the joy that it brought. I, I can't remember a time uh, where I, I didn't enjoy being around uh, th- that group of people. I really enjoyed that community aspect. When I first met my wife, when we were just friends, she would ask, like, how many kids you ever wanted? I'm like, Ten, at least, right? We had our one, and now we're like, Lord, this is fine. Like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm good. If, if this is it, I'm good. Um, no, but always enjoyed that community aspect of just being around people that I love. Um, so with that, obviously, you, you learn a lot of things with a, a lot of people in one household. And with that, I had my sister, and one of my aunts had her son, which was my cousin. He was like a big brother to me. And I learned the good and the bad from him, right? So this was in the 90s. And basically, in the 90s, wrestling was king. Right. I won't get into the details, but guys, you know, some of you ladies might, too. But wrestling was huge. And so like boys, we reenacted what we saw on television. Now, my cousin was bigger. I had no clue what I was doing. So he would practice his moves on me and he would do this thing called uh, lock you up and do a move and then tie you in it and then leave you in the dark. Um, I didn't enjoy that. Um, But the older I got, I would see my cousin do these things and I would just mimic them. But more importantly, when he did them, I would see him corrected, but I would still continue to follow on his path. My father would ask me like, why do you keep doing these things when you know you saw your cousin get in trouble for it, but you're not changing your course of action? What's, he would try to help me, what, what's happening here? What's the disconnect? And I would just say, it looks fun. I, I just wanna be like Scott. He, he's, he's just like me, but he's older, he's cool. Everyone, he has friends, he likes to talk to people, people talk to him. I just want to do what he does. And on the opposite side, right, we see the children of Israel go through a phase where basically they see their parents be in this position of having to either follow God or not, obey the law from Moses that he gave them from Mount Sinai, or do what they wanted to do. And unfortunately, we see in Scripture they do what they want to do. Um, At one point in time, before they cross the Red Sea, they even tell God, hey, we're just going to go back to Egypt. We might as well die there because we don't want to die here at the sea. How could you abandon us? And time and time again, God shows his faithfulness to the point where they finally provoke him. Um, 
I don't want to do that to God, but they provoke him and they decide to say, you know what, we're going to make an idol. We're going to go back later in the chapter. They talk about building, a, uh, choosing a captain to take them back to Egypt because they don't want to go where God promised them to go. So God's upset. Moses asks, please don't kill them because I know you're upset. He doesn't decide to do that, but instead he punishes them, every adult under the age of about 18 or 19, and they stay in the wilderness and wander. And I encourage you, if you have one of those picture illustration Bibles, open it up in the back and look at that wandering track. It's sad. Could you imagine being in one place just circling because God told you to and you can't do anything else? And so I think that's a great way to teach children what not to do because they probably were sick and tired of wandering around in the wilderness and they see this example of why every single day still being provided for by God, but they see the product of disobedience. So first point here we see is the simples made wise. Uh, very simple illustration there, but we see that the previous generation was punished and their children saw their mistakes and were made wise. Um, I love that because every single time you see a scorner punished, the Bible says that the, someone is made wise, a simple is made wise. So their children saw it. They said, we're not doing that again. And that's what we get to see in the book of Joshua. Joshua shows us what it looks like when we have a leader that's trusting Christ or trusting God. And we have people who decide to follow that leader as they follow God. And it's a great illustration of the New Testament church as our under shepherd follows Christ. We follow him. And pastor says it every single time. If you ever see me deviate from this gospel or deviate from the word of God, you grab me, you throw me out of here because this is always the priority. This is always what we follow more than any word from man. Now, we go deeper down into our verse. Verse 21, he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, when your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean these stones? So that's important for a couple of reasons, right? But I'm going to circle back there for one second. As I grew up in my parents' household, um, well, actually, before I grew up in my parents' household, my parents were first-generation Christians. Uh, they, they had a multitude of things that they grew up in, challenges uh, that I won't get into. But I get to see the faithfulness of God through their lives from the moment they got saved to how they raised me perfect, and they would be the first to tell you not perfectly, but they tried their best to do better than their parents and trust God along the way. So um, my father, he was saved, interestingly enough, at a uh, Amway convention. So back then it was big, right? Everyone knows that. Um, so at this convention, he got saved, and, but he had a, a, a warped view on church. He thought back then people would just try to take your money, and, and people would try to do it, and he would see these uh, contrast, because he, he didn't grow up with a lot of money, but he would see people give to these pastors that took all their money and drove nice cars, but the people were just driving around with nothing, right? So he was like, oh, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't like that. And rightfully so, but that kept him out of church. So later down the line, my dad got out of the Navy, and this is, I think, 1988, and he moves back to Illinois. They, my mother was saved already, and they begin to find this church. My mother goes, but my father sits in his car and just waits for her to finish. Never steps inside. He did this for a course of about six months. Every single Sunday, drive her to church. She'd get out, go to church. He'd come back, pick her up, and they would go home. And people would come out, try to talk to him. He wouldn't listen to him. People would come out, try to encourage her to come in. He would not come in. It was, and I just learned this recently, on the day that my mother was going to try to become a church member, that was the day my father decided to come in church. And to my father's testament, that began the illustration of faithfulness before I was even born. 
the reason I go to church as much as I do, and I say as much as I do because I, I love being in God's, God's house to worship and serve along you all, but the reason I love God's house and I love being a part of the church is because my father's track record of faithfulness. He made sure that we were in church as, as much as we possibly could. Did he do things perfect? Absolutely not. But he showed me what a faithful follower of Jesus did. And that was he showed me what a tithe looked like. And he told me that you need to be in church when the doors are open because there's no better place to be. So because of that, I got to see a great example of God's faithfulness, all because he's decided to commit to being a part of Jesus's church. Now, bring us back to verse 21. The reasons why it's so important when we see when they ask why, why are these stones here? Why is this memorial here? Why do you have this photograph on the wall of you in this weird place in 1985? Or why do you have uh, that bookmark in your Bible? Why do you have that photo with these people that I have no idea who, who they are? Why do you have this thing here? It looks like it's there to remind you of something. Why is that there? And God gives us clear explanation when we get down to verse 24. But that question, why, is so important because it helps shape someone's view of what a good Christian is, right? So first and foremost, before we get into that, we have to understand that the next generation is watching, whether we like it or not, right? We can't get away from it, whether we want to be a role model or not, whether or not we have children, someone is watching. You're shaping someone else's view of what a good Bible-believing Christian is. So for myself, I always see these interviews of prominent figures, and they say these, these key phrases, hey, I am not a role model. And it's always at the perfect time of when they do something that a role model should not do, right? And so there was this interview with uh, another prominent figure. I won't say who their name was, but basically they decided to sit down with someone to talk about why they decided to change their life. This person was not Christian in any way, but they noticed some things in their life and they decided to change it because uh, the gentleman had children. He had a son and his son would see his lifestyle and the interviewer would ask, why did you change your life so much? What happened? Like, what did you, what clicked for you to make you stop doing the things and live in the way that you were? He tells the interviewer, he says, I, I had a son. And as he got older, at first it didn't matter as much. He was small and I would continue to do the things I was doing, uh, very worldly things. Uh, but he said, as he got older, he started to copy the things I did. And at first it was cute and innocent, right? Uh, saying words that he shouldn't say, ha, 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 uh, mimicking after the things that dad would do when he was drinking a little too much, right? At first it was innocent, but after a while as he got older, he started to pick up on the mannerisms of his father. He started to mirror the things that he was doing, how he was speaking to his wife, how he was speaking to people, how he was treating people, how he was seeking out violence against innocent people. And after a while, him and his wife got together and they were just like, okay, something's got to change because he can't turn out like like me, right? So the interviewer is just sitting there dumbfounded and he's explaining why he decided to change his life because his son was following every single thing he did. But the interviewer, uh, after they gathered themselves together, they asked, so you changed your life and you decided to make those changes and help your son change as well too? He said, yes. And then the interviewer basically got a little emotional and said, well, what about our kids? You are this influence on so many millions of children. They saw every single thing you did, but they don't, they don't see the changes. They don't know why you're making those changes. They were influenced by you, and now I get the product of what they are instead of your son who gets the loving correction that what it's supposed to. And there's a lot of things happening there. Obviously, that gentleman needs to talk to his kids. But more than anything, we see an influence 
from a place that we have no control over. Whether we like it or not, someone is making an influence on someone. And obviously we know children especially are being influenced by a culture that is against God, that wants nothing to do with the word of God, and actually idolizes sin. And sometimes those things look more appealing on the outside than the deep meaning or the deep-seated issue that's inside him that's missing what's in Christ. So with that being said, every negative influence is reversible if you are saved by Jesus Christ. So if we're saved, even though I might have had a bad upbringing, even though I might have had circumstances in my life that even I had no control over, or if you're like me, self-inflicted circumstances that I put on myself, I had a great upbringing, but I decided to be a part of the world. I decided to not follow God, but trust in myself. Self-inflicted issues that could have been avoided if I just followed the correction that was given to me. But they are reversible by God's grace, and they're only reversible if I am saved in Jesus Christ. So let's stop right there, and i got a question for you, friend. Are you saved by Jesus Christ? Do you know for 100% certainty if you die today that you have a home in heaven? There are people in this room that know it, not because they're smart, or you all are smart, I'm not, uh, but not because we know a bunch of things, but because the word of God tells us so. The Bible says that we may know that we have eternal life. But the question now remains to me, the biggest question is how can someone know or if the Bible makes it clear that if Christ died from my sins and he rose again on the third day, if it makes it clear that if I repent of my sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, from the moment I confess my sin and I make Christ my Savior, that is stamp sealed. I get the Holy Spirit and I have a home in heaven for the rest of my life. But I have to make that decision first. Christ has given us a gift. God, from the Old Testament, what we're reading now, all the way up until when Christ was born, the picture of that redemption was made available to us when Christ said it was finished and he rose again like, he will, like we're going to go over in a few weeks for Easter Sunday. That is the most important question that you need to ask yourself if you don't know for sure you have a home in heaven. And after, we'll talk about a little bit later how we can know that with some more questions to kind of think about. But after that, coming back to our text, uh, we are shaping someone's view of what a Bible-believing Christian looks like. So for the Christian we need to consider our influence on a regular basis, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, not just when I'm near people who are Christians out to lunch, but when no one's watching. I love the word integrity because it's rich. And it's a Bible, it's a good word that also we see in the Bible as a principle, but it's also even something that people who aren't saved respect. People respect integrity. When a wife knows that her husband has no interest in another woman and he's not going to pursue it, that gives her security, right? When a man has integrity to not do the wrong things when no one's watching, man, that gives a lot of peace in a household. People respect integrity. And when it comes to the Christian life, it's no different. Even though there's no one around and I'm home alone, a few weeks ago my wife was out of town with our son, and four days, the most miserable four days of my life, I'll say that, um, but when no one's watching, that's when, I, that's when I get a chance to find out what kind of man I am. Am I going to give in to my flesh and give in to my own fleshly desires, or am I going to honor God because I know his eyes are on me, and that's enough for me to stay on the straight and narrow? How am I going to behave myself when no one's watching? I, there are plenty of people who put on shows when people are around. I, when I first met my wife's parents, uh, she said, <laughs> she said, uh, 
hey, when you meet my parents, you don't got to do anything extra or anything like that. My wife, she, she says I'm a little extra, and I'll take that. Sometimes I can be. <laughs> um, but she was like, hey, just be yourself. And I was just like, yeah, I've, I've, that's all I got. I don't, I don't have any fancy tricks, so that's good. So I think her mom came out the first time. And when she came out, uh, it, was a, it was an interesting situation. We weren't married. We were just dating. Um, and there was an, some other people with us, but there was another gentleman with us. And her mom kept saying, I really like this guy, not me. <laughs> and she just, she kept saying, I was just like, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, nice guy. I love him to death. She was like, I just really like him. But towards the end of this, and this is no tick to me, this is all because of Christ. She says, you know, in the beginning, this guy, he was kind and he was very sweet. But Brian, as I got to know you, I just noticed you didn't, you're pretty much the same throughout. And it's only because of how you love my daughter that I'm really appreciating who you are. I didn't do anything special, I promise. I should have, maybe I should have, um, but it's only because of what Christ did in me. I want to make sure that I'm a consistent and even kill no matter who's around because it's very difficult, and you've seen it. It's very difficult to try to put on two fronts or two shows or be uh, two-faced in front of different people because at some point, those two ways, they eventually overlap, and the people that I don't want to see my mess, they eventually see my mess because they, it's too hard for them. They eventually clash. The Christian life wasn't meant for us to live that way. It was meant for us to follow Christ in every single step of our lives, making those changes, not legalistically, but because we serve a God for, that died for those sins that we're trying to let go of. Now, quick verse that we'll take a look at, Nehemiah chapter 9. I love this because putting us back in the context of our verse, we see the implications of that. Uh, before I do that real quick, uh, the, the, I'm missing a note there. It's difficult to say how good God has been without a heart that doesn't obey him. And now we'll go to Nehemiah 9, verse 16, 17. And it says, but they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments and refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and forsook them not. Nehemiah is talking about their parents. They're talking about the previous generations that they saw make those mistakes in Deuteronomy and Exodus. The people who decided to go against God. I love Nehemiah because it shows a great picture of Christ's redemption. If we decide to turn back towards God, Man, he's open arms. But the moment I turn my back on him, he stays exactly where he is. But my distance becomes great because I'm always going somewhere else. That idea of a drift is it, it's such a powerful imagery because even though I might think I'm sitting in one place in the middle of a body of water, tides, currents, uh, the winds, everything is working against me to push me off that desired track. Even if my engine is turned off, it doesn't matter. I'll look up and think I'm in one place and I'll wake up and I'll be in a completely different place all because I didn't have my anchor set in the place that I was supposed to. Now, when my heart is rebellious, I am no longer submitting to God's authority. And we see that here perfectly, right? We eventually trick ourselves into believing if we don't acknowledge what God wants me to do, everything can still be okay. Uh, the leader of our teen ministry, uh, Levi Gillis, he's out of town right now, but he did a great sermon with our teens that talked about how sin might look pleasing on the outside. And the image was this, someone who might be dabbling in sin, but still shows up and comes to things and maybe looks like everything is okay and it looks like everything's in order. 
they never know what's happening on a regular basis. They don't see the brokenness. They don't see the tears. They don't see the products or the, the sin or the consequences of that sin that they experience on a regular basis. They just see this person who seems like they're doing fine, basically without God and disobeying him. So with that image in mind, we want to make sure that I put myself in a position where I'm constantly evaluating, Lord, am I obeying you? I want to make sure if I'm, if I'm not obeying you, how can I get my heart back toward you? And we see in this, in this, in this uh, context of this verse, he leaves these things in place, or he gives us these things to actually put in place for we can remember the promises of God, so we can remember what he has done for us. We are such a forgetful people. And any moment's notice, I can forget what someone's told me five minutes ago, let alone what someone's done for me 10 years ago. I want to constantly revert back to what has God done for me? Where has he brought me from and where am I today? I self-evaluate way too much, but I always make sure I come back to the fact like, Lord, you know what? Man, I really messed that up today, but Lord, look how far you brought me. And it's only by your grace that I'm saved and it's only by your grace that you continue to change me. So please just keep doing it. I don't know what I'm doing without you. Now, as we continue on, uh, thinking about this verse, um, when we find ourselves being in a place where we're not obeying God and we're just ignoring things, I always find myself thinking about Ecclesiastes, right? We have a man that had everything. He had a father, not a great role model, but he loved God. He was a man after God's heart. And I, I, I always think about whenever I see people do the wrong thing that, or save men and they make big mistakes, I say, okay, Lord, they messed that up. I don't want to do that, but what did they do that was good? I want to do that well. Right. I want to I'm not going to dismiss them completely. I'm going to learn from what they did and I'm going to take the good that they did and help me to grow. Right. Because that's what they God's put him in my life for. But think about Ecclesiastes. At the end of it, he brings himself all the way back to completely uh, flipping everything upside down back to where he started. And he says, you know what? The, the meaning of life is just fearing God and trusting his commandments. That's it. I've seen it all. I've done it all. There's nothing new. Right. And it's brought me back to this, the word of God. And I just need to fear God and do what he says. That's it. That's the purpose. Read the end of uh, Ecclesiastes when you get a chance. That's the meaning of life. The preacher finds us at this point And he says, this is all it, this is all it's meant for. And we know Solomon. I won't go through the story. We know exactly what he did and how he wrecked his life. And he found himself at the position where he should have started, where his dad tried to show him. And that's obeying God, keeping his commandments. That's it. So with that being said, the f oh, sorry about that. With that being said, we find ourselves working down the verse, the fear of God and the motivation of obedience, the fear of God and the motivation for obedience. Verse 24, I absolutely love because a second ago we talked about some whys, right? People were watching, but it's also hard to worship God, especially if I don't want to obey him. There's a verse I wanted to turn to before we went there. Psalm 106. Actually, I'm sorry. Yep, Psalm 106, verse 12 through 15. This points to how God is to be feared above any circumstance and that he's all-powerful. Psalm 106, verses 12 through 15. And it says, They believed his words, they sang his praise, and they soon forgot his works. If God's supposed to be all-powerful, all-knowing, and we find ourselves in a place of praise and then we forget, is he really as powerful as we say we are, as, as we say he is? 
Is he truly the Lord of my life the way I claim him to be? At one moment, if I find myself, man, God, you're so good. Man, you've done so much. And I quickly forget and find myself off the path and following what I want to do. I, I would omit that maybe, maybe God isn't as good as you claim he is. And maybe your life isn't mirrored up with what you claim it to be. If he's supposed to be who he claims to be, then my life should mirror up to that. If I truly love my wife, I should do everything in my power to make sure I, she, I show her that she's loved, on top of telling her that she's loved. If I don't feel how I feel, then I shouldn't do those things. And in the same way, we see a beautiful picture of what it means to truly follow and trust God if, because I know that he's all-powerful. But continuing on in that verse, they forget his works. They waited not for his counsel. Verse 14, they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness to their souls. That's, that's comforting in one way, but also terrifying in another. So for the Christian, it's one of the most beautiful parts of an all-powerful God that he gives us exactly what we need. Since we've been in Hawaii and people talk consistently about how ex expensive Hawaii is, and it is, right? Um, but in a lot of ways, God has still uh, given us everything that we needed every single step of the way as long as me and my wife just continue to live by faith. So I buy $8 gallons of milk, 100% do, but God provides it every single time I buy it. Uh, when I pay my rent, and it's really not that bad, but I still pay it because I know that God's provided it for me and he's sustained me every step of that way. Now, the scariest part of God's power for the Christian is him giving us over to what we want. We've been going through Romans and Romans has talked a lot about God saying, basically, if I decide to go after my sin, I'm unrepentive and I don't want to make that change. God says, go ahead. To me, that's one of the most scariest things that he can do. Instead of coursing me back and correcting me with his loving chastisement, he sends leanness to my soul and allows me to go after what my heart craves because it's obviously not him. Right. I don't want to be in that place. I want to have a heart like Galatians 5, go 5, 1 that says, stand uh, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Hold on to that. Don't go anywhere. Uh, but be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So like I mentioned before, I really enjoyed wrestling as a kid. And going back to the context of this verse, when I'm entangled in something, it's not because I wasn't there before. It's because I put myself there. That bondage of sin, that, that yoke of sin, that burden of that bondage was taken away by Jesus Christ. He removed that from me when I got saved. But when I decide to say, Lord, I'm going to put this back on. I'll be right back. I think I got a way I want to do it. I'm, I'm knowingly going towards something that I know is going to put more burden on me, that's going to create more hardship, that's going to make my life a lot more challenging from something he's already freed me from. Matthew Henry said it like this, but a man cannot be brought to greater slavery than to be given up to his own lusts. Consider that, something we're freed from, and I still decide to go back to. The Bible says it a little more crudely, basically, like a dog returns to his vomit, that's how a man returns to his sin. How could I do something like that? My Savior died for this. That goes back to our other point. I decide to say, you know what, Lord, I know what it says, but this looks good for now. I'm going to do this. That's me returning back to what just came out. That's me returning back to that yoke of bondage. That's me returning back to influencing those towards the world instead of influencing their hearts toward Christ. Or like verse 24 says, that all the land might know and might fear God and know that he's mighty. So our love begins with faith in him, 
because of what he's done and what he will do. Let's take a look at Psalm 78. We're going to read a little bit more that's on your notes. I'm going to start actually in chapter, uh, verse 5, 78, Psalm 78, verse 5 through 9. And it says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should, not, that they should make known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. And verse 8 that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their hearts aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Uh, that's, that's such a good verse for us to take a look at because it brings us back to, Lord, I know for a fact you've done great things in my life, but the second I deviate off of that path and I go the way I want, that's when disobedience begins. That's when I begin to forget what you've done and I go on the beaten track that I know that I should not go on. I love verse seven, that they set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keeping his commandments. So if that's the case, if I'm truly doing what I'm supposed to do opposite of this verse, this confidence in God of our salvation should fill our hearts with joy. That's an that's a easy byproduct of salvation. If you ever meet someone who's newly saved, and they get it, man, it's like seeing a Christmas tree light up. It's almost as if you see that yoke of bondage lifting, they're just like, man, like, I did not know I could feel this way because of what Christ has done for me. It's a beautiful moment. And when you see that, it's just that outpouring of what Christ has done for them. But we'll take it a step further, and we'll get an example from from David in Psalm 145, verse 4. And he says, I will extol thee, my God, my King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Verse 3, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. So we see first, David is just acknowledging the goodness of God and how faithful he's been in his life. That's it. Now verse 4 tells us, gives us a glimpse into what David, uh, an outpouring of David's heart. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. So David loves God so much. He just wants to acknowledge the goodness in his life. And then the overflowing of his cup is just telling the next generation of how God has been faithful. That's it. I can't do those things. I can't tell people how good God has been. I can't tell people how great he's been in my life if my back is turned towards God. There's no way because I'm not keeping my eyes on the cross. I'm not keeping my eyes on what he saved me from. I can't have that joy if I'm constantly putting myself in the place of wanting to live and please myself. David's genuine heart just wanted to share with the next generation because he had his own relationship with God. If you ever notice someone who can kind of read people really well, you talk to them and maybe you're tired or maybe you're a little frustrated. If you have a good friend like this, they'll look at you, they'll hear you talk, but you'll tell after a couple moments they're not really listening because they're just looking at you. And you'll just say, what? And they'll just say, you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. My wife does it to me all the time. She's like, you all right? I say, yeah, I'm fine. She'll look at me, she'll take a little step back, she'll look at me again, she was like, you hungry? <laughs> or, you tired? <laughs> Usually it's hunger for me, but every single time I have to take a step back and kind of collect myself, okay, Lord, let me slow down. You've been faithful, uh, life's going a mile a minute, and you sustain me. This, Nehemiah talks about the joy of the Lord is our strength, and I encourage you to have a transforming truth in your heart um, 
at least once a week. Have something from God's word on top of your Bible reading. Have something from God's word that you can meditate on throughout the week as a principle. For myself, the joy of the Lord is my strength when Nehemiah talks about how they're going to continue and following God as they build that wall. Have that for yourself at least once a week, something to come back to. So if, when someone asks you, man, how you been? Man, I've had this verse in my heart, and this is what's helping me grow in my walk this week. And just meditate on it, chew on it. I guarantee you'll grow from it. So with that being said, we're going to kind of sum things down here. So be made wise when we see a scorner punished. Be made wise when you see a, a scorner punished. The children of Israel saw the, the mistakes of their parents, and they said, we're not doing that. We're not disobeying God. I don't want him to take my life. I don't want to walk around in the wilderness for another 40 years. We're going to do what he says. And we get a chance to see in Joshua people who decide to turn their heart towards God and get a great work done. Would that be said of Huikala if we decided to put our hearts directly on God and do a great work in the city of Honolulu? People need the gospel here. Uh, me and Jordan go out at least once a week on Fridays and pass out invitations. And even though sometimes we're just canvassing, putting tracks on doors, we always run into someone. And they're always just like, what's a Baptist church? And I guarantee they probably, most of the time, they've never even heard the gospel before. They have no clue who, they had an idea of who Jesus was, but they didn't know that he can give them eternal life. There are people on this island, your next door neighbors, uh, or on another island and your next door neighbors, that have never heard Christ. Or they have an idea of Christ but you have the living word living inside you. Share it with them, would you, this week? Next, we see reflect on the faithfulness of God. I, I can't truly acknowledge how good God has been unless I reflect on his faithfulness. Before I'm saved, I, my knowledge of Christ is general, right? My knowledge of God is general. I see the firmament, we see it in Psalm 19, the, firm, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament uh, showeth his handiwork. I see it, but I can't place why it's here. All of those things are meant to point us back to a creator God and his son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for us. That special revelation of Jesus Christ is meant to save us. Uh, next up, we, and lastly, we see tell your children and others how God has been faithful and where he's brought you from often. I wanted to put more often, as often as possible, but as often as you possibly can. Because the more I reflect on what God has done, just like he did for me when I was first saved, even if I got saved yesterday, I'm reflecting on how God saved me yesterday. So if you just got saved, you reflect on that. Oh, man, I haven't been saved long. Man, you have a story that people need to hear. If you've been saved for 50 years, man, you have a story that someone needs to hear. Don't let anyone ever tell you that you don't have something to share because Christ has done a work in you. And friend, the angels in heaven rejoice and there are when a sinner is saved. So you need to tell someone else about that as well, too. Now, putting this all together for us, right? So we see the memorial. We see a call for us to remember God's faithfulness. We see the scorner made wise. Now, the best parenting advice I've ever gotten, recently it's been a lot and it's helpful, but some of the best I've ever gotten, uh, I asked the gentleman, man, what do you do when you're, when you're trying to, you know, get stuff scheduled? When, you, when you're with your kids, you want to read your Bible, you want to pray, you want to do all these things and make sure you're helping them grow. But like, like, what do you do to, to kind of keep that going on a regular basis? He said, all that's important. You got to read your Bible together. You want to pray together when you can. But more than anything, I try to make sure that I have spiritual conversations with my kids. I want to apply the word of God in every situation I possibly can. I want to saturate our lives with as much as the word of God as possible, whether it's wisdom, whether it's a principle, 
Uh, when we give a commandment, always follow it up with a why. That's always helpful. But I want to make sure I'm putting that in every part of my, of my son's life as he gets older. So for myself, like Pastor mentioned, uh, I came in here to Hawaii. I, I didn't know what it meant to have a true relationship with God. And by God's grace, I slowly, all I did simply was look at other people and just say, man, Lord, you changed their lives. And I used to think everyone here was perfect because they just seemed like they were just so nice and everything was good. But it wasn't because of that. It was, it was because of the joy of the Lord. And I said, Lord, I want that. How do I get that? Grow in my walk with Christ. Read my Bible. Spend time with him. Making sure I'm reflecting on what he's done for me and looking forward to how he'll continue to change me. So me and my wife had a decision that basically when I got out of the military a few years ago to either go anywhere I wanted, which was very, very appealing, or stay here. And I'll give you, I'll give you my honest uh, feedback. I wanted to go as far away anywhere that I could simply because I had the choice, right? But thank God, and I, I request that you all do the same thing when you have a major decision. Talk to someone that loves you and that will tell you the truth from God's word. You need a friend like that. And just like that, I had somebody in my life, and they say, what are your plans? And I say, we're going to do this, this, and this. And they said, that's the first I heard of that. When would you leave? About a month. Really? Yeah, that's what I want to do. Have you prayed about it? Kind of, yeah. Have you, have you talked to your pastor? Uh, no, should I? 100% you should. But he began to ask me these questions and say, well, where has God gotten the most glory in your life? Uh, where's your walk now? And do you think it would change based on if you went somewhere else? And the more he started asking these questions, I started to get upset and then I started to get convicted. And I was just like, Lord, I don't think I thought this through at all. So some questions for you that I have for you all, the same ones that were asked for me, and not everyone has this decision for themselves coming up, but I guarantee we all know that when there's one trial, there's one coming or we're getting through something, I would tell you or ask you to prepare for what might be coming. It may not be a big move to another place, but it could be something that can take you off of the path uh, of following Christ wholeheartedly. Uh, a question that, uh, that I can't stand to answer because it always convicts me is, when was your life and your walk with Christ on a 10? When was that? Answer that for yourself. When was it on a 10? You can probably think about it right there. Some of you might have to think about it. The follow-up question is the one that always gets me. Where is it right now? And why isn't it where it used to be? Every time. And it makes me think about, where was I when that happened? Where was my heart at that time? What was I focused on? What was taking my, what's taking my focus away right now? I want to put myself back in that place consistently. So if I do have to go somewhere else, man, I have the tools in place that keep me, maybe not at that 10, but around that nine, I can't say 10, but around that nine of keeping my walk consistent with God. So some questions for you. How can God get the most glory from your life? When and where were you when he got the most glory from your life? Now, in that place, Imagine you being in that place and you know this is where God has you. Why would you leave? Just a simple question. I don't have the answer to it. That's something between you and God. And more than that, the question that we need to ask ourselves, if I don't need to leave, then where should I be? If I do need to leave, where would God have me be? Is it a place where I'm going to grow? Is it a place where I'm going to be around Christians that want to edify me? Am I going to compromise some things that I shouldn't that can cause my walk to deteriorate? 
Those are questions I need to ask. Whether I'm going to a new church up the road or a new church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I want to make sure I'm asking those questions every single step of the way. And this is a, this is a true desire, and I want to make sure that I'm doing nothing to jeopardize my walk with God no matter where I am. No compromises along that path. One thing I'm going to explain to my son as much as I possibly can, I tell him now, he just looks at me like I'm crazy. He's five months old. But I tell him now, I say, Trip, you don't even know, man. God's been so faithful. You and your, my mother and, your mother and me have seen God's faithfulness, and, man, he has just blessed us all because we decided to trust him one day at a time. I, I like five-year plans. I love 10-year plans. You give me a 20-year plan, I, I, you lost me there. I, I'm all for planning. But the Christian walk has always been a marathon, one step at a time. The Bible talks about the way. The way is Christ, and we just need to follow him as we continue on in this life to please him. One verse I'll leave you with, John 10, 27 and 30. This is typically a verse we turn to for assurance of salvation, um, but I'm going to just give a brief illustration, and we're going to wrap up there. John 10, verse 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave me them is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So, friend, if you're saved, you're in your Father's hand. Nothing can take away your salvation. It's a gift of God, not of works. That's so no one can boast, right? It's straight from Christ. Now, if I'm truly in my Father's hand, I want to do everything that I can to obey him. When that book, uh, Five, language, Five Love Languages, came out a few years ago, I asked my wife, what do you think God's love language is? She laughed, and she was like, obedience. I was like, oh, that's good. God's love language is obedience. <laughs> every, every single time, if you love me, keep my commandments. That there's, I don't think there's anything more clear with how we should interact with God. Keep his commandments. That's how we show we love him. And if I truly love him, and if I'm in my Father's hand, I don't want to do anything to jeopardize that. From what he saved me from and where he's brought me, I want to make sure as he continues to hold me, I do everything in my power to please him. Everything in my power to please him. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.